Hello, my name is Lana Vasquez, and I will be discussing the impact of microaggressions and my stance on critical race theory within the education system. Foremost, I think it's important to define what critical race theory or CRT and what microaggressions are in order to lay a groundwork for the rest of the things I will be discussing. So I'm just to put it in the simplest terms, I just took the definition of microaggressions right off of Google, and this is what Google says. I'm actually pretty in agreement with this, but it means, according to Google at least, a statement, action, or incident regarded as an instance of indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group such as a racial or ethnic minority. Or they also define it as an indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination against members of a marginalized group. And these can look like a lot of different things, but they're like really most common in the statements as asking someone who you perceive as an immigrant from a racialized stereotype, things like, where are you really from? Like, you know, like, yeah, I was born in like Detroit, you're never like, where are your parents from? You speak English very well. Or you could even consider the model minority myth as a microaggression, or no, actually it is, of being like, Okay, this has happened to have experienced my own home of where I was talking to someone about how hard a math test was. And then I said how someone else thought it was easy. And then the other person was like, oh, it's because that person who said it was easy was Asian. It must come. It's, it was like, I quote, it was in their DNA. It was very easy for them. So that is an example of microaggression. So now I'm going to go into what CRT is. Within media, CRT or critical race is a very spicy and controversial topic due to, the amount, due to the amount of misconceptions that surround it. Like, for example, when ethnic studies was being instated as a class, many parents were using or weaponizing CRT and saying that we were going to indoctrinate their children. So a lot of news outlets, common media, a lot of people don't really understand what CRT is. And honestly, it's just it's kind of a disaster of how they're portraying it. But CRT really explains how interlocking forms of oppression, how they interact with each other and how they interact with education. So there's also like Asian American studies, that's a branch of CRT. There's Latino critical studies or LATCRIT, which studies, you know, Latino Americans, Americans and their experiences and how they relate and how they're different. But it's all overarching connected by CRT and the modes of oppression. I think a good way to start off is to kind of go over my own experiences I've had with microaggressions growing up to very, um, let me just say conservative town where uh, a lot of people have very conflicting views with me and you know i i am half latina i'm half filipino i'm first generation i was placed in esl in kindergarten the school thought i only spoke spanish which is kind of crazy but yes i was behind in reading and i guess i didn't get supplemented the same way i kind of always knew i was bad at reading as a kid and that carried on because every teacher i've had in english made me think i was so stupid and like until this year, which is I'm so thankful for my teacher this year. He's he's amazing. Um, every single teacher kind of made me feel like I was less than for just I just felt like I wasn't good enough in that area. And I always knew I was better at math, I guess. But, you know, that's less microaggression-y. But the English part, 100%, I could sense some microaggressions, especially from teachers and my own experiences and why I kind of faltered in English and tried to stray away from it. Not only did I, uh, what's it called? Not only did I... Uh, not only was I placed in ESL in kindergarten, the way my mom found out is that she asked who the mystery reader was as a, you know, four-year-old me, I'm also a year younger than everybody else, or pretty much, and I didn't know who it was, and she was confused as to how I didn't know, and then I told her, you know, they took me into the special room and asked me if I could read, and then asking me questions, and she was infuriated. And to this day, it still says on my Aries that I'm just, like, fluent in English, which is kind of crazy, because, you know, I'm, I'm in AP Spanish, but... I guess I, I guess I'm only fluent in English and my dominant language will always be Spanish. So yeah. <laughs> and you know, through my K through 12 type of schooling, um, what's it called? 
There has also been various microaggressions from students alike, or, you know, my, like, uh, my classmates, things like that. Over the years, the amount of drug dealer jokes I've heard made is absolutely insane. People have inferred that my parents are here illegally due to the fact that I'm brown and I'm very outspoken. I, you could say, yeah, pretty outspoken. <laughs> Many people have inferred that, and it, it's very, I guess, now I try not to let it get to me, or even in, like, the, the past year, but I've had horrendous experiences and encounters with people who genuinely like believe that and genuinely believe these crazy ideals and in which it did affect me and not just in a like not just words they, they were just they were more than just words a particular altercation with another student it was it was over about two and a half years i was in contact with the student we, we used to be friends at one point and then uh it, it started initially like the f I wouldn't say it was a competition. It was more like little history talks because, you know, we both like, we both enjoyed history. And then over time became progressively worse. He would attack um, the fact that I was brown, a woman. He was incredibly misogynistic, racist. He would say the N-word constantly. These things, attacks on my character, attacks on these defining traits of me. And at the time, I didn't know how to cope with it. And I guess I was just trying to, I wouldn't say assimilate, but I was trying so hard to just be accepted within that group because I kind of it was very toxic overall but I, I hate to say I still miss it sometimes but I was striving so hard to be accepted I kind of just I tried to sweep another rug yes and I, I have so many broken uh, <laughs> so many broken promises of changing these excessive things and it got to a point where it wasn't just affecting me mentally like it started to reflect in my grades because I would just we, we had a class together and at that point after he would say these horrendous things to me I wouldn't want to go to school I would miss school this was just sophomore year and you know I'm a junior now so I would miss school I would sit at my desk on the verge of tears not knowing what to do and just that's why my assignments wouldn't get turned in and overall why my entire first well my entire really my sophomore year was absolutely horrendous and then that led on to when I finally did speak up and say something to a very comforting teacher. I literally don't know who I would do without, like what I would do without her. I finally kind of revealed everything. And from that point on, things kind of just got progressively worse. Sophomore year was very much not it for me. It was kind of in a sophomore slump, you could say. Uh, I'd say the microaggressions from then on, it was, it was less of microaggressions and more blatant racism and blatant homophobia, these things that would come out after that. But that just was more than just 100% more than just words. They began to really affect me deep down. And it's it, it's unfortunate that a lot of girls and just people of color, but really women, they have, it's it's the added, it's, it's a combination of every other form of oppression and misogyny all at once. And I'm not saying this is, you know, I'm not making this the oppression Olympics, but being a woman of color in such a, being the minority in such a white community is it's difficult i'm not even gonna lie it is very difficult because <laughs> no one i guess understands your experiences a lot of people don't take them seriously so i know my experiences aren't isolated these have been recorded over and over again with women of color or people of color in general it's been repeated over and over and over and the study i'm going to use to supplement this let me, let me just turn to the title oh sorry it is chicana slash latina testimonials on effects and responses to microaggressions by two researchers, Lindsay Perez Uber from Huber from CS Cal State Long Beach, and Bert Maria Cueva from UCLA. And sorry, let me just turn to the page. 
they did a really good job at examining well of course they did a good job but they went over the theoretical frameworks this is where i actually pulled the crt definition from and they analyzed how these aggressions interact like not how they interact the effects off people and these girls who were well okay because like i said the title was part of Hikata feminism specifically feminism feminisms because the experience of women is different than the experience of men they use this girl well one of the examples was this one girl they were part of groups the they were obviously different part of different groups and one group was brown and they were part of an, an uplift program to try and propel them further and the group that was primarily brown contrasted the group that was lighter obviously the group that was lighter received more opportunities and they were just supplemented a little bit more and other girls have felt like they were really just i wouldn't say stupid but they felt like they were less than and that that manifested within them that became that began to be something that they believed about themselves that they were truly just not as smart that they weren't equal to um their counterparts in an academic sense or even in other senses and it all goes down to like the people who perpetuate the system such as like the counselors who don't really push these students and i don't know if so much as happens at my high school specifically but i do know what happens at other high schools where students who will be extremely extremely smart and even despite they're in esl just because they're in esl that like defaults them to remedial classes and that's just like wow you can this is just you can be so smart in another language but the fact that you just don't speak english is astounding because true esl students the way that they're learning english and and you know of course their their respective language at the same time so it's absolutely insane for a, a child to handle oh well you know like being suppressed like in an esl classroom within the same study i'm pulling other things from um what's it called the same study this in the esl classroom they weren't allowed to speak any spanish well this specific one because like i said esl but you know these children were learning from spanish to english they couldn't use any spanish and if they didn't know a word or phrase then they kind of just they they had to help each other they built a form of community so this is a form and this is an example of a counter space these counter spaces exist in contrast to the status quo or to society around them so for example my ethnic studies classroom or my ethnic studies club the ethnic studies club would be considered a counter space because it's a space where what's it called the dominant forms of i wouldn't say oppression i wouldn't say they aren't present but it's it's a much different space than the typical status quo in which it, it counters that you know we have our own form of culture we have what's it called we retain parts of ourselves and a lot of that can be encouraged throughout schools like there are some schools that teach ballet filcorico ballet filcorico is a type of traditional mexican dance um, i did it as a kid a lot of mexican or latin american girls do it i think they do it in other latin american countries but i'm not sure they they teach that in schools or they teach them about their culture and, and that's kind of why we need such like that's that's part that's, oh my god that's part of the reason why we need such that's part of the reason why we need ethics studies class jesus but it's just these kids aren't learning about their culture and i feel like once they start learning it'll propel them further this happened in i think it was tucson arizona there was like a big debate over uh, this was years ago over the over ethnic studies and these teachers these educators had to end up moving to other states and relocating due to the fact that these policies over there in i mean god it's arizona <laughs> were so different these kids started to learn about their culture and they were more interested and you know the graduation rates for latinos and latinas young these young girls these people of color began to rise and they had been at a higher place than before 
And the the most common argument I've heard against CRT is that they're indoctrinating our children. I've personally been told that argument. I've seen it in Instagram comments. I've seen it at board meetings. I've read it in comments, like about how they're indoctrinating our kids to make white people the aggressor or to the, you know to make a white child feel bad for their past. In which I mean, it's like you can't blame someone for something that their ancestors did. And like you, you, you it's, it's physically not, it's, it's not what we're doing or what we're doing supposedly. It, it's, that's not the goal of CRT. They don't understand it. In, okay. Oh, sorry. I should probably say this. It all stems from a lack of understanding of CRT. Let me just quote something they said. What if the, this is a real parent who spoke out against the Los Ethnic Studies class ago. These courses are filled with hate for America and all America stands for. And it teaches children that America is based on white supremacy and that white people are racist, even, even if they don't know it. It's simply wrong. I think that comes from the fact that they think it's all about reparations, 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 which is true. Such a big part of learning about your history is reparations. But they think we're teaching kids. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, white people. Bad. No, white people. You need to repent for, you know, your ancestors. We're not blaming anybody necessarily for slavery. These horrendous acts at the fact that it's not being addressed within history it's these modes of history that we're being taught is so disinteresting to us it's the the fact that you know history is being taught in a way in which it doesn't highlight the achievements of people of color therefore representation is lacked from little kids uh like for example i didn't even know who dolores huerta was until like last year which i mean which is pretty sad i didn't know who larry itleong was and i'm filipino um if you don't know who larry itleong was he worked alongside cesar chavez it kind of is really sad how capitalism turned the farm workers strike how the how it turned the mexicans and filipinos against each other but that's you know that's not part of this discussion but you know the fact that we don't learn about that we we kind of just We've, we've been regurgitated the same narrative about Columbus, you know, Columbus, 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 Columbus. He sailed the ocean blue in, in 1492. And, you know, the Native Americans, they were uncivilized. You know, fast forward the pilgrims, Squanto, Thanksgiving. Yeah, we, we, we kind of rolled over the genocide part, which, okay, admittedly, I, I do quite a bit of outside reading myself. So I, I do know a little bit. I like to think, okay, well, I believe I know a little bit. Um, I have a little bit of background on that of just how much you know we kind of we i wouldn't say we avoided history but how much is glossed over or how it's just overlooked even the fact that black history month is the only time we kind of learn about these figures and when we do it's the same whitewashed narrative of martin luther king but back to the the central point of what critical race theory is none of this if none of that a single thing of what i'm saying is saying white people are bad that is not what we're saying it's not what we're stressing it's not the fact that white people are bad it's the fact that it's it's just it's about the history at its core. You're not learning what actually happened in this. You're not learning how these modes of society now that were formed in the past in history from the colonial era, how they interlock now and how they're present now, despite even looking a little bit different or remaining somewhat the same. It's it's all about how it changes uh, and stays the same over time. Shout out to Change of Continuity from AP World. But it's such a big jump that a lot of people don't make. Okay, well, it's, it's not a big jump. It's a it's something that a lot of people don't make because of how just interesting our history classes were. Like, I remember at the beginning of there, we read a book. It was called Why is History Taught to Us Like This? And it was talking about um, the narratives and the modes of that history was taught to us, were taught to us. And recently, just like, I think it was a few days ago, it was going viral about how Florida banned AP African-American studies due to lack of educational content in it, which is, of course, absolutely crazy. I'm assuming I haven't, okay. Admittedly, I hadn't done the full research, but I do assume they're pl 
claiming it on the base of it was indoctrinating people off of CRT. That would not surprise me. But yet again, we are not telling you that your children are bad. <laughs> we are not suggesting that. We are not telling you, you know, we are not telling our friends or our kids that white people are bad. No, not once in an ethnic studies class or in this entire year have I ever heard someone say, white people bad, you need to repent for your ancestors. They committed slavery. They, you know, they were enforcers of this or that. Never once. But then yet again, another very common misconception is that, oh God, I've heard it two times. These liberals are forcing their communist and gay agenda upon your children. There's a lot to unpack with that statement. First of all, I don't think these people necessarily know what a liberal or communist is um, to say that these liberals are forcing these communists, are forcing our kids into a communist agenda is very, like, it's paradoxical at, at its core if you know what these terms mean. So in very simple terms for the sake of this, liberals, they believe in laissez-faire capitalism. Um, a lot of it is kind of conveyed as like, how do I say this? Very, I'd say it's very surface level that doesn't convey the most change. It's very, uh, what's it? Very preserve, 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 preserve the status quo. Very opposed to very radical change, which these, which they think that somehow we're imposing by telling them America's bad. We're teaching them un-American values. No, we're not teaching them un-American values. We're teaching them our history. And the second one, what a communism is. Communism is a stateless, moneyless, and classless society, which is obviously, I mean. It, against, it does, communism does rival the traditional American values, yes, because, you know, America was very much built on capitalism, but what is it? They, they just don't really understand fundamentally what that is at its core, but I, I, that amuses me more than anything. But what was it, the last one? Oh, the most infamous claim as to how they're rewriting our history. Oh my, so I've already gone into depth as to how we are taught history and how that's like very it, it overlooks a lot of things that i don't think should be and a statistic i read it towards the beginning of the year as well um it claimed that what was it many students don't even take a history class beyond high school and the way that we're so disinterested in it is you know it stems of course from the way we're taught it's to say like i stated earlier it's the same re information being regurgitated 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 and these this information necessarily it doesn't represent any of the kids learning about it and i'm not saying you start learning about the like I'm not saying we should start including people who were brown as colonizers as well. It's definitely not what I'm saying. Is that we, the way that we were taught all of this was, was to, I think it was to make us purposely disinterested so we wouldn't have to think critically about it. And in, able to, to, in order to draw those connections, it, it takes a lot. It, it, I'm going to be honest, it takes a lot because of the way we were instructed to kind of have an aversion to it. And because so many people are, don't take a history class past high school, these are these people in power, these people who are making our laws, going into these large positions of power, these are the ones that haven't taken a class beyond history, a history class beyond high school. These are the ones at the at the top of our country, you know, running these things. So no, we're not rewriting history. I'd actually say it's quite the contrary. That uh, I believe they're the ones rewriting history because. I, it's just they're trying to block out a lot of the things that these uh how do i say this that their idols i guess did such so as like andrew jackson that man was a genocidal maniac maniac we barely learn i'd say we touched on the trail of tears in the years past i didn't know any of course i knew there was native american genocide and cultural genocide but someone asked me what cultural genocide was or this is an a push class right 
And last year, someone asked me what an internment camp was. That was definitely a shocker to me, considering it was AP World. But you know, it's it, it's okay. I under I guess I have to. I know. <laughs> I know. I try to explain it calmly. I think I asked the teacher to explain it, but you know, I think it's it's supposed to make us disinterested, so we don't question society. We don't we don't question anything that's necessarily going on around us. So it's it's not that we're writing his that we're rewriting history. It's the fact that you don't want to acknowledge it. We're just pointing out the parts that they don't necessarily like. And that becomes the problem and the, such the controversy, such the, what is it? It becomes like a big bubble with them. So that I've kind of covered more of CRT, I kind of wanted to go into like the different, well, a very specific type of microaggression known as racist nativism. So I will admit from a push, this is where I got this knowledge, around the 1830s, and I think even a little bit before, there was this notion called the American Party. It was a very... Okay, anyway, there was a lot of nativist sentiment. There was, was like, we're against immigrants, even though, you know, our ancestors were immigrants themselves. It's very contrary, because it, it's very contradictory. That's what I meant. And even later, we were examining the Gilded Age, which we are right now. Uh, there was a certain graphic that was, it, it, it depicted, the, you know, these rich industrialists, Carnegie, Rockefeller, or, you know, that they, they were unnamed in the cartoon, but you get the idea, where their shadow were immigrants and how they were kind of rejecting a new immigrant coming in. Like, their shadow was the previous immigrant and then they were standing there while they were looking at an immigrant trying to kind of shoo them away or they were very negative towards it. And this nativist sentiment is is from the fact that you are going to infringe on our values. You are, you know, this, this even carries on today in a lot of nativist sentiment. Like you are, these immigrants are taking our jobs. They're, they're taking over, they, you know, they don't pay taxes. They're not, they will never be a part of this country. And reinforcing that idea comes from i mean what reinforcing reinforcing that idea is perpetuated through these microaggressions specifically the one of like where are you from where are you really from like that would oh it drives me absolutely crazy because it just it it really just pushes it in that you will always be a foreigner you will never be an american you will never be good enough to conform to american society and i think at its core it comes from a fear to infringe on american capitalism because when what is it uh, the Asian model minority was that kind of minority myth was developed and all of that was was taking off in at the same time of the civil rights movement. These I believe it was Korean immigrants were display, displayed as like the good minority because they were conforming. They didn't speak up. They were quiet, you know, and in its sense, they were they they were declaring all of this for them to become the model minorities in air quotes. I say this. Because they didn't challenge the status quo. And ultimately, these uh, nativist sentiments, they their central goal is to prevent any change to the status quo. Which is, they, they rejecting change. They're rejecting anything that could affect their place within society. And that's ultimately where it comes from. And this is reflected now through, like, what is it? What's it called? Like I said, the, where are you really from? You know, you don't, this is America, speak English like what this so this country was kind of based off of all immigrants but then ultimately it's reduced down to um speaking English that just doesn't make sense for English was a blend of languages itself and then you know we, we don't talk about the the exclusion acts the Chinese exclusion acts in the 80s which lasted all I mean the, okay I'm at the 1880s all the way up and how Chinese immigrants were exploited in California when, when building the railroads and Irish immigrants, well, Eastern European immigrants were exploited heavily as well during the building, the I mean, the building, the construction of the railroads. But now how this applies in Latcrit, which is Latino critical race theory. This is, I know I was talking about microaggressions, but this ties it back to CRT ultimately. It narrows down that focus on the broader CRT down to how race and immigration really affect 
um, oppression that Latinos face. It, the concept of this nativism, well, racist nativism, it helps understand how race and immigration status intersect with each other. Like how, 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 what is it? Foreigners pose a, I say this air quotes, a threat upon American society, how it poses a threat on American values, how you are so different, how you become the foreigner, how you become othered in a society where everything is based off of conformity. And in turn, these immigrants will always be considered as something different. They will never, unfortunately, due to racist nativism, well, the people who believe in racist nativism ideology, be considered as, you know, from the U.S. They will always be considered as not belonging. And it, it, the way, like I was describing, it's shifted over time. It's, it's shifted from a very blatant, um, what is it? Very blatant, you don't belong here. We're going to vote you out type of thing like well not necessarily vote you out but we are going to kick you out even i guess you could say all the way back to like the alien and sedition acts for own political gain of of what is it upping the naturalization from seven to 14 years to get to restrict french uh what is it because political gain basically it's all the rundown of it up to now of little you know sentiments of like where are you really from it's inferring that you aren't from here or more blatant ones of telling someone to go back to their country is absolutely wild. So, yeah, that's just racist nativism. That's a very specific sub-branch of microaggressions, but it, it's such a prevalent part in Latino critical theory. And, okay, so for women specifically, it's, like, I've, I've stated how it's different. For The women's experiences contrast those of others. When all of this racist nativist sentiment is combined with other forms of oppression such as sexism classism socioeconomic discrimination it becomes the problem of chicana feminism chicana feminism is so different than i would i call it white liberal girl boss feminism to me a white liberal girl boss feminism is a form of instead of having men as the oppressors let's just replace those with women it's less of smashing the patriarchy and kind of just replacing them with women like oh yeah let's you know girl boss exploit exploitation let's just have a woman do the all the exploiting instead and i think that's a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp and it's unfortunately a lot of white liberal women fall into this trap because they don't acknowledge the effects of people of color and they don't acknowledge how all of these intersect in an economic sense to further oppress people of color and how these affect women's liberation in many senses so back to Chicana feminisms, they challenge systemic oppression. They use identity, sexuality, your own body, resistance, healing, transformation, and empowerment. Though all of those converge, by the way, this is cited directly from that Lat Crit article I was talking about. These all come together to uh, to form a fo to form to form a form to form a way of feminism that works for Chicanas because the experience is not comparable typical imperial colonial oh my god dominant feminism doesn't does not include these women of color and it's it's a way to critique oppression and colonialism colonialism and white privilege all in one while empowering latinas at the same time the this was very prevalent during the women's movement the chicano the chicano movement and the civil rights movement like the what was it, like the 60s the 70s that entire time and that's why she got a feminism is so important to empower these women 
who undergo these not only just racist nativist microaggressions, but who endure these microaggressions on a daily basis in a society that's kind of targeted against you. Regarding Latino critical theory, one of like the uh, the tying up to the last things I wanted to talk about when discussing this entire thing is called theory in the flesh, and it's how these microaggressions and the effects of them manifest themselves within your own body or within one's body. And okay, quoting this article again, it goes, theory in the flesh refers to how the physical realities of our lives, our skin color, the land or concrete we grew up on, our sexual longings all fused to create a politic born out of necessity. So dissecting what that really means is that theory in the flesh is a very specific way for she got us to cope with this or how it manifests within us in our minds and how, you know, with that last line born, I mean, create a politic born out of necessity. It was, it's, it wasn't, you know, just kind of liberal like what is it? it's not it wasn't created very freely it was kind of it was forced into that it was this was forced into a way and then these eventually get passed down through memories and how they manifest themselves physically as stress they manifest as anxiety all of these things are become results of this oppression growing up within the k-12 system when everything's kind of biased against you when you don't have that one teacher to believe in you because you would be honestly surprised as to how the impact of one teacher can change your trajectory in life or how one program how one class going back to that in tucson arizona how that entire school trajectory of the latinos there how it shifted how their graduation rates were up how they were told how these students were coming out uh different than their predecessors when implemented with this program additionally it contradicts uh that white kind of female what is it that white female liberal feminism i was talking about earlier which was so focused on it's very it's still capitalistic but this kind of recognizes the nuance that goes behind it it goes deeper than just a surface level where you need to replace the men in the situation it goes deeper than that kind of jumping back on to like where this belongs within the education system and kind of connecting back with everything i've talked about as well about kind of right up to right now kind of discuss i wouldn't say yeah no i'd say like the negative more negative aspects and all of these all the negative effects on one but then now the next step is to heal and how our dominant philosophy in um ethnic studies it's called in la Quiche. it's a it's a poem um the meaning of the phrase i'm quoting it by what's it called my ethnic studies notebook it's the meaning of the phrase affiliated with the mind definition of the human being which they called or vibrant being in this regard we are all part of the same universal vibration this is the origin of recitation excerpt excerpted from my poem that celebrate our collective human being in tucson's uh in their ethnic studies program and the poem goes as such it goes in la quiche in la quiche tu eres mi otro yo that means you are my other me si, hago, si te hago daño a ti if i do if i do harm to you me hago daño a mi mismo i do harm to myself Si te amo y respeto, if I love and respect you, me amo y respeto yo. I love and respect myself. So in full Spanish, it, it goes as follows. Tú eres mi otro yo. Si te hago daño a ti, me hago daño a mí mismo. Si te amo y respeto, me amo y respeto yo. And then English, it proceeds as, You are my other me. If I do harm to you, I do harm to myself. If I love and respect you, I love and respect myself. And yet again, this isn't a form of prayer or belief. It's just, it's a framework of thinking. You know, it, it, it forms around respect. And I'd say, I'd probably say, yeah, e around egalitarianism as well, as we are equal. There is, there's, there's not a hierarchy here. We all deserve respect and to be treated as how we would each. We deserve to be treated how 
we treat others in a sense it, it gives you respect for yourself and others so you know if, if you're one to to respect others whether you respect yourself it kind of puts you in a place where you should respect yourself you should give yourself more credit it, it humanizes you you know and you know going back to indigenous roots part of mexica and okay so quick side note aztec was a name given by the colonizers so the the original name for the aztecs were they were called the mexica and there are four pillars of Nahuyalin. Nahuyalin is a form of healing. They are the four Texcalipocas. And the first Texcalipoca is reflection. It's recalling a current struggle that you could be in. You can reflect on it. And it's it's after the smoke clears. You kind of, you slow down and you self-reflect. You outside, I mean, you, sorry, you silence the outside, let the smoke clear, and then you continue on. But then that leads into the next one, which is Quetzal, uh, Quetzalcoa. Quetzalcoa, its direct uh, meaning is stability. It's how are you going to find that balance? It's gaining perspective on events and experiences that our ancestors endured. And it's just, it's a way to look at something. It's a way to hear the indigenous wisdom within our hearts. So the next pillar is Huitzilicochtli, which is a revolutionary. What can you do to bring change? So as we grow in consciousness, we have to be willing to act with a revolutionary spirit. We have to have that drive to continue to get something done. So what's it called? That that's that's Huitzli which means oh yeah, sorry, the direct translation of that one is action. And the last one is pronounced Kipetotek. Is yeah, Kipetotek, which means transformation. It, it's growth. It's it's finding our own source of strength to be able to grow and heal from these experiences. And you know, obviously we can't do this for every single problem that we encounter in our lives but you know it's it's a very it's a process that we should slow down and kind of take once in a while and i feel like this could be a very well sorry i think this could be supplemented into chicana feminisms and these frameworks i was discussing earlier once you return to this once we really dive and do a self-reflection like i did a self-reflection on something i had kind of had been avoiding for a really long time and to be honest i felt better i i approached it in a manner of i was able to sit down and kind of let the anxiety subside a little bit because i know i struggle with that and once i let it subside and looked at it from this lens it did heal it, it really in a lot of sorry what i was discussing and when I talked about the four Tetzcalipocas, the, the reflection I, I was I was kind of elaborating on or slightly explaining, it was related to these kind of microaggressional issues and how it affected my mind or how it affected me as a person. And these four pillars, they they healed it. And also, I wouldn't say, okay, they, it was obviously not a savior, you know, I, I still how, are, you know, uh, I still am suffering some of the remnants of that. But that's okay, you know, I, I have it's called I have a sense more of how to look at it how to move on how to proceed with this and it's it's all about self-reflection so that's in essence how you have to heal from this there's that's where well, that's how one of the ways our ancestors did and that's how a way I would like to look at it that's a way we examine so yeah that's how you heal with Naviolin and, and you know I don't necessarily know if I'm doing this 100% correctly but it it definitely has helped me it's helped look at my own problems it's helped me in various ways so on to my conclusions about where critical race theory and microaggressions belong in like the k through 12 k, k oh my god k through 12 school system from my own experiences i am obviously a bit biased i well yet again yeah of course it's biased but 
those have experienced those have shaped me to believe that we should educate these kids about what these microaggressions are so they don't just kind of think they're going crazy so they don't essentially gaslight themselves into thinking oh you know this is so normal when in reality it is normal but it, it it's sad that it's normal it shouldn't be normal you know these these aren't things that shouldn't be occurring these kids shouldn't start feeling like they're less than or that you know be, just because they can speak whatever they're just because they're not their parents just because they're not br white they they won't they don't need to conform they can be perfectly fine the way they are and pertaining to crt crt is such an important tool and I don't think people realize that. I mean, I went over the controversies surrounding CRT and the spiciness that people love to place upon it. But it's it's a really important tool. I mean, it originally started around like this. I think the, the term's been around since the 70s when, up, when describing, was, I think it was law students and upper level university students, their ability to analyze political and racial tensions, to think about it critically and analyze the, their connection. But I think it's pretty useful now, especially when talking in a historical context, to analyze how these relationships form and to let the kids think or to let you know students think like to be, to form them as critical thinkers that's what i'm trying to say because i feel like now with college board i mean i will admit i'm a sucker for college board i've taken their ap's i in four this year i took i'm going through the ap sciences i mean the ap social sciences at least um they kind of condition you to think in a very specific way to where I wouldn't say we're all like little copy and paste robots. We kind of are. Besides our monopoly in education, they're they they, they push us. The education system pushes us to think in one specific way, and where we don't challenge each other's ideas, and that's kind of the basis for democracy. And, and ultimately, what we need to keep furthering ourselves to, to 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 challenge, to think differently, to not retain the same perspective, is CRT so important in analyzing that. And when you start to analyze things differently, that's when you start. To look at the relationships, how they interact, how ev absolutely everything in society is connected. I mean, there is, uh, what is it? Let me pull up the, the matrix of social identity, intersectional power. In a center, I mean, there are levels of privilege that you have. It's all about acknowledging that you can be privileged and oppressed at the same time. Like, for example, because, you know, I am a citizen, that gives me privilege. But yet again, I'm also, I'm queer, I'm part of, I'm proud, I'm a woman, uh, what is it? I, 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 I mean, okay, I, I speak Spanish. I present differently, you know. I, I, I'm mentally unhealthy, I guess, you know, I am on medication and I do visit a therapist or whatever, and I could be considered these other things. But I also, I undergo forms of privilege that follow along with that. And that's what it's important. I, f I feel like a lot of people are caught up of, you know, you're only oppressed or you're only privileged. But the fact is that you have to recognize that you can hold both, particularly and so specifically when living in the United States or living in so-called a, a country in the global north. What I'm trying to say is you can have these different forms. It's, it's all about acknowledging how they intersect and how your privilege is there. It's when you start to ignore it or when you start to deny its existence and not look at not continue to analyze the world critically that's where it kind of or for me at least that's where it gets that's where it starts to tell the line with danger so it's just it's just a form of thinking to analyze the relationships that contemporary society has and that's important for higher level thinking you can't just look at something from a very surface level lens um and really in universities but yet again not many people take these history classes beyond university so yeah